You think the Welsh can't do better than that, Owen? Well, they've got a very good base section, mine. But no top tenors, that's for sure. Hello. Welcome to... Hola, como Hello. Why do you sound like I had a stroke? <laughs> There's our one Simpsons joke for the episode. Anyway, this is Lines Led by Donkeys podcast. I'm Joe, and with you me You did click on the right Nick. people. Yes. Uh, and we are at part two and the conclusion of the Anglo-Zulu Tap, not war. I imagine people are listening on their phones. They're tapping. I've never listened to a podcast other on than my computer. own for editing purposes on my computer. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. I usually do phones, so it's a tap. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, anyway, uh, like I said, we're part two and the conclusion of the Anglo-Zulu War. You left uh, me on a cliffhanger. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, war takes a while sometimes. Uh, otherwise, all of our podcasts would be like four hours long, and I'd want to shoot myself. We're not hardcore history here. Yeah, now they're only one hour long, and I only want to drink myself in, into a deep, deep coma. Uh, changed. So, last episode, we told you about how a British army got curb stopped by a spear-wielding Zulu force because they're dumb racists who underestimated their enemies and didn't bring enough screwdrivers. Oh, fuck. <laughs> I forgot about that shit. God damn it. Yeah, um, we compared it to MRE boxes. <laughs> if you uh, missed out on the Battle of Islawanda, I recommend you go back to the last episode and listen to it first. Or do what you do. I'm not here to tell you how to live your life. This episode will pick up virtually uh, immediately afterwards. Um, So when the British main force under Lord Shelmsford, uh, Clumsford, Shelmsford. I like the super British name so far. So yeah, uh, I hope this keeps going. This is a good trend. Began to uh, en masse to prepare for an upcoming war. They stopped at a small mission known as Rourke's Drift. Sounds like a supermarket. (laughs) <laughs> a trader joe's at a fucking supermarket welcome to Rourke's drift where all of our uh our workers here drink asparagus water and have you sign petitions Nasty in the parking course. lot um now uh Rourke's drift is named after an irish merchant named james Rourke, which straddled the border between the british colony of natal and the zulu kingdom it technically fell into both kind of like it was probably kind of illegal, but then again, so is the whole war. Yeah. Because if you now, if, for people who don't remember from last week, the whole war was started without the express permission of the British government. Yeah, dude was an asshole. It is exactly like if the commander of our local military base, Joint Lewis McCord, uh, invaded Canada without, <laughs> without Inv- talking to anybody. Invaded our city. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, soldiers invade our city every four day to to feast upon our local cuisine what do they feast upon here uh the drive through through our fucking street and clog it up so i can't go home the drive-through burrito shop that i bought wine from yesterday for 59 cents very true Um, or they go to rainier that's it yeah Yeah. um so they awaited there as the british ultimatum they definitely don't (laughs) well there's a walmart for every there's walmart everywhere yeah uh, they waited the British ultimatum to the Zulu king. If you remember, that's how the war started. They gave them a very long list of demands that could not be met was in order to 15? start a war. Yeah, it, it was pretty long, and none of them could feasibly be met by anybody who was going to try to protect their kingdom. Right. Which is the whole point. Uh, it's kind of like the ultimatum that we gave Iraq before we invaded. Uh, well, I believe it was the uh, this the Hussein family had to leave iraq 
Yep. Wasn't going to happen. And we knew that. Uh, it's, it's the same thing. Uh, in the meantime, while all that had been going on, they turned the drift into a supply depot and hospital for the forward army. The mission was placed under the command of, and here's another good name, Lieutenant Gonville Bromhead. Yes. His, the whole Bromhead? His first name was Gonville. I'm sure. Which the surname. His cousin, Gonorrhea, did not enlist <laughs> in the British Army. Uh, he was left to command the garrison and, uh, and shore enough soldiers together uh, to make an understrength company from the 24th Warwickshire Regiment of Foot. Side note about our boy Bromhead here. He would eventually be played by Michael Caine in the movie Zulu, and his dad was a veteran of the Battle of Waterloo. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, he old Gonville gets some justice done. Um, now, he was later given another company, this one of the Natal native contingent under the command of William Stevenson, probably the most normally yeah, named like, person was, so far in the show. Yep. Uh, he was helped to bolster the small mission's defenses. Um, in the meantime, he some, probably got a lot of shit talked on him just for his name. <laughs> Bitch, your name's only he William Stevenson. <laughs> I'm You're, fucking Bromville. <laughs> yeah. Your name isn't Crumpet McFucking McSweeney. Bitch, yeah. you, do you even England, bro? <laughs> yeah. Uh, in the meantime, some engineers and a few other units trickled back into the mission, with the engineers uh, repairing some nearby bridges and other people to resupply. Some units that were supposed to be coming, however, never showed up. That was when, confused, the mission sent out some scouts to look around and wonder where the hell these missing companies were. Maybe they got lost, didn't find the non dagger wasn't working. <laughs> yeah, they read. I mean, they are are led by lieutenants. Maybe they got lost. Yeah, um, normal. That, that was when they ran into two survivors of the massacre at Slawanda, who told them they were pretty much the only ones left. <laughs> Right. Like, yeah. Like, wait, where's the other sixteen hundred soldiers over there? <laughs> yeah. We're it, bro. That's where where it's all that's left. Uh when the two men told their story to the commanders at the mission, they had a quick meeting and tra- they decided to try to figure out what to do next. Uh now normally the mission was not a combat position. They were there as a logistics hub. They were not dug in to fight off thousands of Zulu warriors. They didn't have the ammunition, the men, or the means to do so. Right. Uh, they were arguing whether to retreat or to defend their current position. I'd retreat. I agree. I don't um, like spears. Uh, generally, or- locking yourself behind four walls while badly outnumbered just screams like someone's going to name an important building after me because I'm dead. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I don't want a library named after me. No, no. I'd rather, you know, have a headstone yeah, later I'd, in life. I'd rather die old and poor Actually, like fuck most the headstones. veterans. Fucking ashes. I want a whole Voss. You just want an urn? Yeah. You just want a regular funeral, but with a cremation? Because that's what most people get. It's not like they give you a Ziploc baggie full of remains. That'd be fucking sweet. <laughs> a giant hefty bag. Here, we threw your piece of shit fucking grandfather in this. Here you go, you fucking scumbag. And this used gym sock that yeah. we found out back. Enjoy, you motherfuckers. Uh, now, he was a man named James Dalton who is a service corps commander, point out that this, that a small column traveling through open country while burdened with carts of hospital patients would just be overtaken and slaughtered to the last man. And their best bet was to simply dig in because at least they have four walls. So they agreed that they would dig in. I don't want my stomach getting washed. Now, uh, here's an important differentiator. 
uh, and it will it will become important through the rest of this episode, is the Brits learn their lesson. Unlike at Islawanda, Bromhead and Lieutenant John Shard of the uh, who's an officer of the Royal Engineers, immediately or- ordered the men to start making preparations to defend the mission. They began to dig in, and the 400 or so mis- uh, men now in the mission began building a defense perimeter out of mealy bags or bags of corn. Uh, everywhere I look, call them mealy bags, which I, I don't know. I honestly don't know what that is. Yeah, it, In America, we call it maize. <laughs> okay. Stupid, stupid corn-related joke. There's no such thing as a good corn joke. Uh, no. <laughs> Uh, they they stacked deep enough. They were effectively sandbags. Uh, you could also eat your defenses if you so yeah. felt like it. <laughs> they weren't going to get starved out. They were surrounded by corn. Um, the line is reinforced with piles of biscuit boxes because <laughs> apparently to build a defense, uh, if you're the British Army, you have to make it out of pure biscuits. Britishness. <laughs> like, where's the bag of tea? And where is our, our large bags of racism? We ran out of water. Good thing we made a lot of tea. You it just have to make water with tea. dicks. Ah, oh, fuckers. That seems like some shit they would do. Bags of dicks. That too. Uh, they also knocked firing ports or firing holes out of the walls of the buildings to barricade themselves behind. About 100 native cavalry also survived Islawanda and showed up. Uh, once they showed up, they offered to ride to a nearby hill and act as a bit of a lookout. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> I could tell from your giggling you kind of know how this turns out. <laughs> I, I hope they would do the exact same thing I would do. Uh, Chard then uh, rearmed some of the more able patients in the hospital, as well as any civilians who happened to be with them, because if they learned any from, anything from Islawanda, there was no such thing as a non-combatant. Exactly. Uh, Arm the, the children. Now, some of the people, like I, like I pointed out the last episode, um, they were told, the Zulus were told to ignore the non-combatants and let them live in Islawanda. That was mostly ignored because in the frenzy of battle, you're not really going to pay too much attention at how people look. You got to wash your spear. Yeah. Spears need to be washed. Uh, now the soldiers must've felt pretty comfortable behind their fortifications. Mm. Unless you were a member of the Natal native contingent. Uh, they were posted outside of the fortifications. Uh, meet you. I mean, fellow soldiers were, of the British army. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking with giant, like he's doing air quotes like that. <laughs> it, it was the, the team human shield from South Park movie. Yeah, he's just doing moment. swoosh, swoosh, air quotes. Yeah. British army. Yeah. <laughs> fuck yeah. you, dude. T- Operation human shield. What the fuck? The, the, like the, some native, like Natal regiment guy had a chef Go moment. fuck yourself, dude. <laughs> Uh, with the British set in place and their Natal regiment people set out to be bait, let's talk about the Zulu army that was coming towards them. First off, they were vastly larger. About 4,000 warriors strong. Are they still running? Yes. Uh, when did they stop? When they got to the battle. <laughs> oh, that, that was their rest. Like, oh, we can rest. <laughs> now we only have to stab people. Yeah. Uh, but these were not the same warriors who had just stormed through the British at Islawanda. Do they wear socks at least? No, they're barefooted. Fuck, that's got to, if one of them, like, if I step on a pebble on my way to pick up my trash. It was, actually, the, the losing sandals and, sh- and footwear in general was somehow an integral part of Shaka's, um, who, former king of the Zulu, if anybody has not watched the last episode, Shaka Zulu, uh, uh, a key part of the reformation of the Zulu army. Um, because they, from what I read in the book, The Washing of the Spears, um, Awesome name, by the way. Yeah. Uh, 
uh, is he wanted to motivate them to keep moving. He didn't want them to make them comfortable on the march because he wanted them to fight hard so they'd want to go home. My feet hurt. I can't wait to go home. <laughs> Admittedly, it worked. And um, uh, like one of the, I think, the baser rules that we have in military history now from this show is like, if it's dumb and it works, it's not dumb. It's true. Just don't tell the <laughs> army I like my boots. Yeah. <laughs> They're so comfy. Now, the, like I said, this was not the force that had fought Islawanda. They were the lion army. Oh. Now, this sounds really fucking cool, right? That sounds badass. Yeah. Congratulations. You've just fallen for every recruiter's oh, dream because they were actually the reserves mostly oh, from the age of 30 to 40 uh and Damn that, it. that was another main uh reformation that zulu uh that shaka zulu made was that and it was actually one of the things that made um the zulu kingdom's army like leaps and bounds better than their uh, compatriots in africa was that he had a very very specific regimental system put in place per age so the active army quote unquote, that fought at Islawanda would be their youngest, hungriest warriors fighting to get right. honor, glory, everything else. And then after them was the reserves from like ages 30 and 40. But they had a fucking bitching ass name with the Lion Regiment, right? Yeah. Imagine the listing in like the Lion Regiment and then showing up. It's just a bunch of fat old guys. <laughs> like, what is this? Fuck, it's every National Guard unit ever. <laughs> uh, yeah. These, a, lion, these lions ate a lot. It's exactly like every online veteran right now that's making an enlisting in the Space for- Force joke, only to find out they didn't join the Emperor's like Space Marines, but found applying them, for fucking they found Article themselves in fifteen like, clothing to fold shirts. <laughs> they found themselves in like a cramped office space with no <laughs> no air conditioning, with a whole bunch of computer nerds. Like it's a huge letdown. Now. What is interesting here is the, is the king of the Zulus, Ketsueho, never wanted to invade the British Natal colony. And we pointed it out last time is that was the fear mongering put in place that made everybody just kind of okay with the British war against the Zulu. He understood the limits of his army. Now, it was revolutionary for native armies in Africa to be as successful against their neighbors as well as European powers as the Zulus were. Well, they were still largely a militia, militia force with very little logistical systems in place because they were citizen soldiers, effectively. I mean, they weren't getting, you know, they weren't enlisting and then serving 20 years off some far-flung post in the Zulu kingdom. They would have jobs, they would farm, and then like, right. oh, fuck, somebody's invading home, grab your spear, and you, you go fight them. take off my boots and just run barefoot. <laughs> I mean, if inside the, the borders of the Zulu kingdom, it works because it's a self-defense force. Right. Um, but it, it, if you overextend everything like a foreign invasion would do, like invading Natal, the army just isn't built for that. It's galaxy brain level of stupid. Now, let me tell you how they invaded Natal. <laughs> Running. A Zulu commander named Dabulmanzi, who happened to be the king's half-brother and Shaka Zulu's nephew, had other plans. Dabulmanzi was well-known within Zulu circles for being kind of dumb. He was known to be very aggressive and acted rashly without ever asking anybody for any counsel. It was probably for all of those reasons, despite direct orders from his brother, the king, not to attack any British army forces outside of Zulu territory. And then he just went ahead and did it anyway. There's a whole lot of fuckery uh, there's, in the Zulu War. Yeah, there's, uh, there's several problems attached to this, however. While Dabulamanzi had, uh, had been present at Islawanda, he was not the overall commander. 
That was a different guy named Natshik Wongo, who had gotten himself wounded by the end of the battle. Before he had to go and get himself treated, he spent a lot of time planning and, uh, and preparing for the assault on the British encampment in order to lure them into their buffalo-based attack plan, as we told him, the horn in the chest yes, of the buffalo. The buffalo. Now, if you're assuming that Dabulamanzi did the same amount of planning while in, to invade the Natal, you would be sadly mistaken. He simply had no time for that shit. Instead, he forced his reserve army, who, remember, were older and not as in shape, to march at a pace as nearly a jog for 20 fucking miles. That sounds rough. Without Fuck a break. That. All right, boys, we're going to go ahead and run a marathon before attacking this fortified position. I'm going to fall out. <laughs> Somehow... And I, I think I said in the first episode, the Zulu army was a much better army than the British one. They, were, they simply lost based on technology. That does not count for Dabulamanzi. He's a fucking idiot. He's a, just as dumb as Clemsford, if not dumber. <laughs> um, now, he forced his army to march that hard so they could swing around their forces wide enough around the small British garrison to cut off their line of retreat. Now, their force... All right, so I guess on paper... Which I'm assuming he did not come up with a plan on paper because he just came up with this out of his ass. He did it on the sand. Yeah, this this he he did a sand table. Uh, I don't even think he did that. He he was one of those guys like this is a great idea. We should just do this. No, I will not hear any kind of dissent because uh, he was also known for like abusing his subordinates and stuff. He sounds like the type. He's a fucking idiot. Yeah. Um. He also he was noted for drinking quite a bit, uh, which was common in the Zulu uh, army at the time. Like play in effect, getting yeah. kind of drunk. Uh. Before they went into battle to, um, you know, put some liquid courage in their veins, yeah. which is un- not uncommon in history, but he would get like incapacitatingly drunk, which is just that's not taking the edge off. That's just no. alcoholism. Yeah. <laughs> um, now, this plan works. If I just tell you that his whole idea was to, to encircle the British army. Do you think he just talks straight out of his ass? Uh, he like Ace Ventura that shit? Yeah. Uh, like he's not. like. Because they had, like, the buffalo. Like, we're going to do the buffalo, guys. Like, he's just like, oh, we're going to do the scorpion. <laughs> and did this motion, like, rounding. Yeah, like a he, tail. He was very obviously only in charge because his half-brother was king. Oh, and, yeah. his, and he's the nephew of Shaka fucking Zulu. Yeah, and with that reasoning and also with him drinking, I think he sounds like he would talk out of his ass because I feel like he would. You know, I, I guarantee you he had a phrase at the tip of his tongue in case anybody questions. Like, don't you know who my dad is? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And he always wore boat shoes and shorts with like a button-up shirt. Like you don't even look like what the fuck are you? A little known fact that Bulamanzi actually graduated from Harvard Law. Uh, (laughs) uh, The the idea that he was like, yeah, we're just going to encircle the Brits. That works, kind of. But then you think like in order to hold this vast army together with no communication systems, not even runners for the most part, requires a fair amount of command and control. Bulamanzi did not have any command and control. Uh, the force is so disorganized and badly led that he simply could not keep the army together. Random groups of warriors would just break off and raid nearby homes whenever they came what across the fuck? them and just not come back. Um, around 4 p.m., Army Sergeant James Reynolds returned to the mission and told him that they absolutely did not want to hear. Uh, God damn it. Let me, let me rephrase that. Try this again. At around 4 p.m., Army Surgeon James Reynolds returned from the mission and told them something they absolutely did not want to hear. A it's large almost COB. We gotta go home. <laughs> P comes from the balls. <laughs> yeah. uh, a large number of Zulu were sprinting across the countryside and were only about five minutes away. 
Oh, fuck. <laughs> That's terrible. Like, you, you know. Where the fuck are the guys on the hill? <laughs> you know, Bromfield's like, way to drop the fucking ball, guys. Uh, that is when Lieutenant Henderson, who was in charge of the Natal Horse Regiment, our contingent, rallied to face the incoming threat. Henderson rode out behind uh, the nearby Oskarbarg hillside to harass the Zulu, which is a good idea. I mean, light cavalry, you harass the enemy, you run off. You guys are fat. Uh, <laughs> you guys don't look good. Your mama had one big titty and one little titty, and we called her Biggie Smalls. Away! <laughs> the Zulu's like, what the fuck, man? <laughs> they just keep running away. That's like, not cool. Yeah. Did you hear what he said about your mom? Uh, My ma- feet hurt. <laughs> I just want water. Yeah. Bitch, I'm 40. Uh, Now, the problem was to be a harassing Zulu, uh, to harass the Zulus, the cavalry commander needed cavalry. Because as soon as his Natal regiment rounded the hillside and saw the vast amounts of Zulu warriors, they broke and ran off without firing a shot. (laughs) Your unit is broken. You just see their flag above them, bleaking. (laughs) Oh, fuck. The tall native horse regiment, total war. Yeah. <laughs> uh, H- Henderson immediately turned around and ran off to catch him, telling Lieutenant Chard, quote, my men will not obey my orders. <laughs> yeah. Fuck you, you pasty white bitch. We're out. <laughs> <laughs> Upon witnessing this, the native troops who had been left outside. Now, these are the, the native troops outside the mission, not yeah, the, the native shields. cavalry. Yeah, Team Human Shield. Um Abandoned their positions and ran off after the horse, guys. Hold on. So you tell me they washed their spears in our stomach? <laughs> Let's get the fuck out of here. <laughs> like, wait. Are you saying that the white guys won't shoot us if we run away? We're fucking outie. <laughs> yeah. They won't waste the ammo. They got to go to their fucking right quartermaster. Uh, About that. Now. Yes. Yes. <laughs> When the men, the men in the mission saw their native counterparts running for their life and began to get pretty upset that they were running away from battle. So they began shooting at them. The only person they managed to kill was a British corporal named William Anderson. <laughs> How the fuck did they do that? If it's one thing the British are good at, it's racism. And they fuck this up by gunning down the only white guy in the crowd. <laughs> Holy shit. Do you think all their musket fire just hit him? <laughs> Fuck! <laughs> Lieutenant Bravo's like, who shot the white guy? Now, not exactly off to a strong start here. With the desertions and friendly fire over at the left, around 150 people inside the mission, about 40 of which were wounded or sick people from the hospital, uh, Chard must have started to see the writing on the wall because he quickly ordered his men to construct a wall out of whatever they could through the middle of the mission in case they had abandoned the outer walls, of which one was the hospital itself. Nice. Uh, at 4.30, the Zulu army's vanguard, which numbered on 600 men, routed the Oscarberg Hills, the same one that the native horsemen had just run from, and approached the south wall of the mission which is where the hospital and the storehouse was located. British troops opened fire when the Zulu were only about 500 yards away, kicking off a battle that would go on without break for about the next 11 hours. Oh, God. While the vanguard was attacking the south wall, the majority, numbering in the thousands, attacked the north wall. Even though the British were incredibly outnumbered, they pumped out a withering amount of fire, which I suppose is easy to do when you're shooting at a wall of people armed with mostly spears. Yeah. That was when the Zulus began to shoot back. What? Now, uh, in the, no spears? 
Uh, well, they did use mostly spears. They did have muskets. Um, now, the movie Zulu, which I will continue to go back to because this is the popular narrative of the right. battle, makes this look like the Zulus were armed with captured British Martini Henry rifles from Islawanda. That would be impossible as these warriors had not been present at the battle, so they could not have looted the corpses. Instead, they were armed with decades-old muskets like the Brown Bess. Now, these guns were badly outdated in Europe. Uh, They ended up being pretty effective for the Zulus in the battle. Not sure if this is because the British simply did not expect to get shot at, but five soldiers on the wall of the north ended up getting killed by Zulu fire, which is more than they killed with spears. Um... And I can see why this worked so well, because like, haha, we're fight, fighting a whole bunch of Africans with spears. And then when you start getting shot at, who needs cover? Not to mention, it was culturally taboo for the most part. Like I pointed out that muskets and rifles were considered the weapon of the pussy. It was frowned upon. Yeah. Like you, if you used a gun, you were a coward. Like real men closed the distance. And they stabbed a motherfucker with a spear. I'll use a gun. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'd I absolutely want to use a spear. Yeah. I've. I've seen me fight. I'd rather have a gun. Uh, now, the first wave of the Zulus on the North Wall were quickly torn apart. The ones that were not killed outright found themselves pinned down, hiding behind rocks, as the British continued to pump round after round into them. The other warriors hid at the base of the mission wall and attempted to do grab soldiers' rifles as they, as they uh, put them over the wall to open fire. So <laughs> they were just, like, hiding at the base of the wall, trying to snatch rifles out of people's hands when, they, when the barrels appeared over the wall or through their gun ports. That's kind of terrifying. Yeah. Uh, or they would just grab a hold of their arm and then just stab their shit that out of them. That means they're close. Yeah, they're very close. Yeah. Uh, this had one side effect the British had never thought of, however. Dozens, if not hundreds of warriors, had been shot dead as they attempted to climb the stone wall around the mission. The piles of the dead bodies end up creating a ramp for the next wave of Zulu warriors. It's like World War Z. Thank you. I. That's exactly what I was about to say. <laughs> so, in case you thought the zombies of World War Z or the arachnids from fucking Starship Troopers were not realistic, that shit is I turns out about that too is based in historical fact. So, the bonus episode that Francis and I did on Starship Troopers turns out uh, not fictional. Yeah. It's true. They yep. took it the, from the Zulus. Yeah, the arachnids are, uh, they have thoughts, they Those have feelings. Fuckers. Yeah, and the brain bug. Hey, you know, they were just trying to make planet P great again. That's what it's called, right? I think Which so. Which means they're hugely racist. <laughs> and did not take too many waves of Zulus doing this before the British on the North Wall. Did the British have their own Rico's Roughnecks? Uh, I... Brom, <laughs> Brom heads bastards. Yeah. <laughs> uh, now it did not take long for the Zulu to uh, force the British into a brutal hand-to-hand combat situation, which is not their strength. This includes their commanders Dalton and Bromhead going spear to bayonet. Even though they were fighting an army whose entire existence was based on hand-to-hand combat, the British made good account of themselves. They but they simply could not deal with the numbers. Chard realized they could not hold the North Wall for long, and at 6 p.m., after two hours of bayoneting their way through endless human waves, he ordered his men to pull back into the yard of the mission where they had created the secondary position. This had the unfortunate side effect of abandoning the hospital. I mean, was there wounded in there? Oh, yeah. Oh. Because uh, So they, they armed the people, the walking wounded, the people still able right. to move, or the function of their hands, but there was... A few people who were bedridden. 
whether it be from some tropical illness or Good whatever. Luck. Yeah. Just put your blanket over your head. That's usually what I do when I have nightmares. <laughs> Hide under your bed. They won't think to look <laughs> yeah. there. Uh, the firing ports have been knocked out of the hospital walls end up becoming death traps. As warriors snatched weapons that were sticking out of them or stabbed into them with spears. Fuck. A handful of soldiers refused to retreat and stayed behind the hospital to continue defending the bedridden patients that were still living inside of it. That's, that's pretty brave. Some of those soldiers were Corporal William Allen, a former sergeant who, had, what else, had just been demoted for getting drunk and fighting a superior. Nice. And William Jones, like a 39-year-old private. <laughs> what? Got fucking. Uh, yeah, this isn't the. He 18. also has pay problems and uh, <laughs> married a stripper back home, <laughs> who who is also just just taking all of his money. Uh, eventually, the soldiers knew they were fucked and decided to escape the only way they could: hacking through the stone walls of the hospital themselves. It's a terrible escape. Uh, well, they couldn't get through the doors uh, because, like, it would be a roundabout way. So, they're like. Fuck it, we'll go through the goddamn walls. Now, because... Tim Allen, their way through the fucking... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, using pickaxes and rifle butts, they beat their way to safety, dragging multiple ho- hospital patients with them, all while fighting off a never-ending stream of Zulu warriors. In one instance, a soldier named John Williams stabbed directly into the head with a Zulu spear, Ugh. knocking him unconscious, as one tends to do when your brain is fucked with a spear. Now... It didn't do that much damage because he's wearing a helmet, but it did fuck him up pretty good. He woke up several seconds later, finding himself surrounded by Zulus, pulled the spear out of his head, and then began to stab the people around him. I pretend I was asleep. <laughs> I, oh, fuck. Like, I'm dead. The fighting grew so intense that the Zulus decided to just set the building on fire. This spurned the soldiers to go back to work, once again busting their way through the hospital walls to freedom. After an hour of hacking their way through the walls, taking a few breaks here and there to shoot a couple people, the soldiers burst through the outset and ran to safety behind the barricades, which were manned by people who all assumed they were dead. <laughs> of the 11 patients still inside the hospital, when it was abandoned, Chard uh, would rescue nine of them. It's not a bad outcome. Yeah, I mean... I assumed it'd be much worse. Yeah, honestly. A, yeah. a building on fire full of bullets and angry spears. Like, I assumed of the 1111 would be dead. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Though it must be said that several of the dead, a, uh, a Sergeant Maxfield, Private Jenkins, and a Private Adams, were just sick and refused to move from their beds. You have those days. Even when soldiers were trying to evacuate the hospital. They weren't wounded or anything. I don't know how fucking sick you have to be to just lay there you and be have, stabbed to death. You just have those days where you're just like, you know what? This, today's a sweats day. I I'm going to watch Amazon Prime, maybe some Netflix. I'm going to have some me time. Yeah. You know, don't get me wrong. I have been literally. Oh, fuck. There's tea in my canteen. <laughs> I have been literally crippled by dysentery, like hooked up to two IVs at once. I've literally been crippled. <laughs> but like, so- how sick do you have to be into like, Fuck it, death is preferable. I'm I'm okay with my life. I'm ready to go. I don't know, honestly. Because yeah. <laughs> even when I was like at my worst, I was like, I need water. <laughs> I need to go downstairs. Because <laughs> like uh, when I had dysentery so bad, I almost got medevac. I was forced to go on a couple missions simply because we didn't have people. And uh, I made it out the wire like by a couple miles, and I vomited on an Afghan policeman and shit myself. But like then I walked back. I didn't just like lay down and die. So I don't know what they could possibly have been sick with that made it so much worse. Or maybe being in the British Army is just so terrible. They're like, you know what, Zulus, take the wheel. Yeah. 
Case of the Mondays. <laughs> Jesus, take the wheel. Just getting shanked with spears. Did you say cheat? Queen, take the wheel. <laughs> so once the evacuation of the hospital was complete and the shrinking of the British perimeter was complete, uh, it allowed them to concentrate their fire more effectively. As the night fell, the Zulu attack only grew, however. Fighting continued unbroken throughout the night, with soldiers burning through so much ammo so quickly that their rifles began to fail on them. Now, there is a, um, a known malfunction in the Martini Henry that when it starts firing and heating up, that the uh, brass will swell up inside of them. Oh. And because it's a single-shot weapon right. that after you fire it, you have to manually eject the round. Well, when it heats up, it would swell up and have to be extracted with a pair of pliers, which most people did not have. They also didn't have screwdrivers. <laughs> so most of them would have to like smack their weapon off the ground to try to get the uh, uh, ammo out fuck. of it. fuck. Yeah, just so they could fire again and have it happen again. It's weird, funny how I've done that in the past, definitely, where I smacked a rifle on the ground like to release a charging handle. Oh, I've definitely done that. I had um, now it was, it was a magazine problem, not a rifle problem. And I think I told the story during our our M sixteen episode. But I was in a firefight, and after every single one of my ra- every time I fired around, my M four would jam, and I have to slap the magazine to get the load again. So I effectively had a bolt action assault rifle. Nice. <laughs> so after every round, I just smack the M four off the ground to get the bolt to lock forward again. So the M one carbine. I have uh, I've had one for a really long time. That was one of the first World War II weapons I had. Had this issue where for some reason the charging handle wouldn't come back after you fired. So a, a lot the common practice apparently was you put the rifle butt on the ground and you basically stomp on the charging handle to eject that round. Interesting. So I've definitely done that a few times. <laughs> it's super weird, but also I found it satisfying. So I wonder how they felt about smacking their martinis. Probably not very when you're I mean, surrounded by thousands of enemy fighters. Like I was if fighting, you like think about it, I was fighting like two Taliban guys, and I wasn't very happy about it. I imagine if I was fighting four thousand of them, and my M4 was also also a single shot rifle that had to be reloaded with a pair of players that I was not issued. Well, I'd you be also have to happy. remember, like you have to think about like maybe who's around you, and maybe you might have a good time. Yeah, maybe they probably had a good time. Maybe the Anglo Zulu War is the friends we made along the way. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> the man to your left and right. Yeah, thanks for that. That made it. Thanks, I hate it. Uh, now the soldiers held up in the cattle crawl, crawl being Afrikaner for a hut or a farm enclosure, began to get the worst of the attacks. By 10 p.m., they were forced to retreat to the storehouse where Zulu attacks would continue until 2 a.m. After that, they still did not give up. Well, those guys don't get tired. No. Uh, ag- well. Kind of, and we'll talk about that. But uh, they did not give up harassing the defenders with random musket shots for the rest of the morning. So the muskets were a good tool for the Zulus. They didn't use them the best. They used them for harassing fire, which would have been really, really good if they had pressed the attack. Because it's a, it's a way to allow their main force to sleep or rest or drink water or eat while they continue to keep the British, like, hiding behind walls because they right, were popping rounds cover, at them. Because they're not expecting to get shot at by the right, Zulus. Right. And it's not exactly what happened. Um, now, here's the part where the movie Zulu and the Zulu attack takes a break and retreats for a bit. Uh, they, re- they reform and begin banging their shields and chanting in order to intimidate their defenders. The defenders, being the unflappable red jacket British army, simply started singing the song, The Men of Harlech, to counter them. 
this is a really cool scene, but it fucking never happened. And um, the only reason I bring this up is like, I found the question posited online, especially on like Reddit and Quora, but like, did this really happen? Now, I'm not saying we're a popular podcast, but I'm saying we should at least address it. No, it did not happen. And here's why. They couldn't get people in rhythm. So yeah, the British the army guys is like, you know what? No, no, yeah, no, stop. Yeah. All wrong from the top. Uh, now, the reason for this is that Men of Harlech wasn't even the regimental song, nor was the regiment overwhelmingly Welsh, which is what they continue to talk about in the movie. It wouldn't become the Southwest Borderer, or so, sorry, the South Wales Borderers for another two years, and were currently the second Warwickshires. And even though the regiment had been formed in Brecon, South Wales, Warwickshires, yeah. They I'm, sound like they drink Worcestershire sauce. I'm getting better at pronouncing these British names after getting mocked by Nate endlessly. <laughs> it's, it, it is spelled Warwickshires. It is pronounced Warwickshires. I've heard of Warwickshires. Yeah. Um, now, the regiment was formed in, in, in Brecon, South Wales, uh, but almost nobody in it had actually been there. Uh, mm. Instead, the regimental march was the Warwickshire lads. Nice. More than that, think about this. The men inside the mission had been setting up defenses since 3 p.m. and fighting for about 7 hours, straight without a break, and getting shot at for about 11 hours. Uh, they were probably not exactly in the singing mood. I wouldn't be. Yeah, I'm and, never in the singing mood. Actually, no, no, I, I am. I would never say, like, I wake up in the morning, I look around, like, I feel like a tune. Call a bird upon my finger through <laughs> the window. But yeah, it's, it's all a, uh, a scene of magical movie nonsense. Yeah, it looks cool. Yeah, it's it's like a great spree cool. decor movement, yeah. but it never happened. Um, now they would eventually become the uh, the South Wales Borderers, uh, which is, I assume, a much less racist border patrol. But <laughs> 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 I doubt they put Scottish people in concentration camps. But um, yeah, uh, it, they weren't that yet. Well. Uh, every time I felt down, I sang my division's tune. Yeah. <laughs> so I know me. Whenever I was really, really depressed in Afghanistan, I started singing the army song. And I'm yeah. like, suddenly the whole mission makes so much more yeah. sense now. And the, you know, there is you accounts. Have a drive. Yeah. Uh, now there is accounts of of regimental tunes and marches and stuff like that being uh, being sung to to rally a unit. That's totally true. It happens. It, yeah. It's happened a lot. It just didn't happen here. And and one of the more important things is that. Of all the soldiers who wrote firsthand accounts of the battle, fucking nobody brings this up. So, like, there's a hint. Nobody yeah. talks about, yeah, we uh, we had a fucking we sing a rap battle with the Zulus. Fucking like, choir song. Like, of all the people who wrote memoirs or letters or dispatches about this, nobody's like, yeah. And then there was this really weird 15, 30 minutes or whatever where we made eye contact with the Zulus and just fucking sang at them. We sent out our best answers. They sent out their best answers and they stomped the yard. <laughs> and we just ended up winning. That's why I walked away from the battle. That's, yeah. that's the true story. Uh, so when dawn broke, the soldiers saw that the Zulus had abandoned the field, leaving only their dead and wounded behind. At around 7 a.m., the soldiers thought that their time was finally up because another detachment of thousands of Zulu warriors began to approach. Like a fresh batch? That's what they saw. That's now. terrible. But they slowly withdrew. The Zulu army had been thoroughly ravaged by the fighting. They had not only been marching for about six days, but they hadn't eaten since the first two. So they do get tired. Uh, Their ranks included hundreds, if not thousands of wounded, and they had no supplies. They simply could not continue a fight. That is when when Lord Clemsford himself, uh, his relief column showed up about an hour after the fight ended. 
Though by this point, the soldiers within the mission were so exhausted and shell-shocked and expecting to fight again that when they showed up, they nearly shot them, thinking they must have been Zulus that were wearing stolen coats. <laughs> what? Yeah, they didn't, though. They, they were really close. Oh. Uh, Clemsford unit, having uh, seen the destruction of the British army at Islawanda, returned the favor by going into the field and executing every single wounded Zulu that they found. Trooper William Clark... Washing their bullets. Yeah, washing the bayonets. Yes. Uh, Trooper William Clark noted in his diary, quote, Altogether, we buried 375 Zulus. Some of them wounded were thrown into the grave alive. Seeing the manner in which our wounded had been mutilated after the battle from being drugged into the hospital, we were very bitter and did not spare any wounded Zulus. Oh, God. The British, after hours of fighting, had lost only 17 men, with a further 15 wounded. That is surprising. Right? Yeah. Holy shit. It's like one of those statistics that when I read it, I'm like, this is like some Greek mythology battle or some shit. Yeah. Now, the total number of den wounded Zulus are unknown because a lot of them got brought back to the ones. Is they... that really documented? Did they document that type of shit? The Zulus? No, the Zulus didn't keep track of their wounded and dead, um, but they did carry a lot of dead bodies and wounded back with them. So the only numbers that we know are the ones that were kind of by the British of whatever's left in the field. Okay. It's kind of just like a war of attrition where it's, well, this is what I saw. We killed 50 of them, but re- you, you could have killed more. You could have killed less. Right. I was really sure. And I mean, they killed all of them because they didn't leave any wounded. Yeah. So of the battle, 11 Victoria Crosses, which is the highest award the, uni- the United Kingdom has for heroism, were awarded. Now, while both sides had taken losses, that did not mean the Anglo-Zulu War was over. The Zulus were still running high from, their, uh, from defeating the British at Islawanda, and they meant to repeat that action. Though, this time they were going to plan a little bit more than they did at Rourke's Drift. Now, so they were going to do more buffalo and more animal action. Yeah, yeah they were going to rule out the cheetah. Now, uh, now, there's one fatal flaw in the Zulus' plan going forward. They kept planning every battle like it was going to be Islawanda, whose, uh, whose yes. main linchpin defend, uh, depended on total British incompetence. The old I played uh, high school D1 football. <laughs> and that was not something that you can continue to edge your plans on. Uh, not to mention, after seeing the results of Rourke's Drift, the British learned the hard way that they could never underestimate the Zulus again. You best fucking bet the British were not going to fight without prepared positions. A good example of the British learning and adapting to Zulu tactics was the Battle of Iazande. The British were advancing towards the Zulu capital of Yalundi when they came across a group of about 6,000 Zulu warriors. Why is there so many of them? <laughs> well, they're There's defending their fucking the homeland. <laughs> they're de- I mean, the British they're are- never n- in the hundreds. <laughs> because they're, they're mobilizing every able-bodied Zulu man to defend their homeland. I mean, What the, is a man considered in? Like, what age is considered? Uh, about 16 and up. Now, um, the Zulus did have their own small version of Sparta. Uh, they had even their own version of the Agoge, where like young Zulu men would be thrown into what is effectively a regimental barracks system where you would fight and steal and and just the whole iron sharpens iron concept. Right. Where they would bond with the men around them by fighting um, amongst themselves, establishing a pecking order. Oh, fuck, they, six thousand. God damn. All right. Yeah, I, and uh, at this point, they they know the British are not going to stop. The British didn't come over from Natal to teach them a lesson. They right. came over to destroy their kingdom, and that is truly a war of survival. Now, did they always have 
thousands of people on the ready? No. But they knew that they had to sacrifice things from other aspects of life to keep the British at bay. Right. Um, now, this group of 6,000 Zulu warriors was the left horn of an advancing force of a different Zulu army. Uh, a group of the Natal native soldiers led by a game named Lieutenant Hart and a group of British NCOs discovered them. Uh, now, upon discovering uh, or being discovered, the left horn attacked causing the native soldiers to leave their European leaders behind to a very quick and violent death. But this horn uh, attacking so quickly made the rest of the Zulu's army's plan go to shit. Now, with the element of surprise gone, the British camp manned with about half as many Zulus uh, was immediately under attack by the entire Zulu army, Uh. numbering around 12,000 warriors. Now, this sounds like the prelude to like Islawanda 2.0, right? It sounds like massacre. Wrong. Oh. Now, that probably would have been the case. Um, the, this time it was Islawanda, but for the Zulus. Oh. The British in the camp had not only dug in, but they were prepared and ready to fight. They had brought several batteries of artillery and Gatling guns with them. Ooh wee. Now, when the Zulus came down upon them, they almost immediately lost over a thousand men in only a few short minutes. Oh, fuck. Because while facing a withering amount of rifle fire sucks, if you're like an unprotected group of people in the open, now there's artillery slamming down the middle of you. There's Gatling guns. You're just not going to make it. Yeah. Um, Now... After this battle, the unit's commander, Colonel uh, Pearson, had his army pull into a small mission fort near Esho. His men began to dig in, and he received the last message any commander wants to get. Your supporting column, the, that being the one that was destroyed at Islawanda, was destroyed. This means that Pearson was on his own. Not only that, but if the Zulu army got behind him, there'd be no one to come and save him, no escape route, and nothing between the Zulus and the British colony of Natal. Oh, fuck. Now, as I have pointed out, the Zulu king had no intention to push towards Natal, but Pearson did not know that. Right. The problem was he had a bunch of fucking idiot commanders who kept just doing things on his own. Pearson, of course, had no idea about any of the the splinter and Zulu command. He only knew what he was being told. And when Clemsford sent another message to uh, Pearson saying, all previous orders are canceled. Your new order is to preserve your army by any means. This includes retreat. Now, <laughs> that's not a message anybody wants to get. Right. And Pearson looked around and saw he had a commanding fort on good terrain and great fortifications. If he packed up and marched out, much like at Rourke's Drift, he'd certainly get attacked in the open by an entire Zulu army that would outnumber him. Pearson elected to stay. King Ketchweho knew he could not attack a show. And for once, his stupid-ass commanders agreed. And he got a handle on it. Really? Yeah. Uh, instead, he elected to surround the fort and wait them out. That Beginning, also blows. Yeah. Be, it began a protracted siege. As the Zulus surrounded him, Pearson watched from behind his fortifications and was probably pretty comfortable with the situation at first. Then the rain started. Oh. A downpour turned their earthen positions that made up a show into little more than a giant puddle of mud. Then, they began to run out of food and water as the Zulu siege began to take effect. Zulu stole the British cattle and burned the surrounding fields, so the ones that they didn't capture had nothing to eat. Soon, their cattle uh, didn't starve to death, 
would have to be led out of the fort under armed guard to find grass. Most of the fighting that took place during the siege of a show was actually over cows, far away from the actual fort. Literally hundreds of British soldiers died protecting grazing cows. What? Yeah. Like, and they tried to stagger the whole thing. Like, well, we went to this patch of grass that wasn't burned yesterday, so we have to go this one next week. And like, occasionally they just ran out and would have to go to the same place twice, leading to just getting the shit shot out of them. Yeah. It was just a a protracted series of, of ambushes. It fucking blows. This forced the British soldiers to sneak out in small groups at night and steal food from the surrounding villages in order to survive. This went on for a full three months. Three fucking months? (laughs) Holy shit. Before Clemsford was able to lead an army to relieve the attacking. It took three months? I mean, it's Clemsford. Uh, If anything, he has a fucking track record already uh, of being slow and refusing to act. Yeah. He's lying. He's fine. Uh, he finally led an army to the fort uh, to relieve the starving cow guards. Uh, but not before Clemsford was forced to actually win a battle for once. Clemsford's army was stuck in a muddy field waiting for it to dry so he could move his wagons when they fell victim to another charging buffalo formation by thousands of Zulus. They keep using the same animal. That's their problem. You gotta now, switch it up. You know, it works. It, it's a it's a very basic encirclement technique. The problem is, is they know about it. And it wouldn't have worked in Islawanda if they had simply dug in. And that's why I said um, they just kept trying to do the same thing. But I would argue that this would actually work if the Zulus were armed as well as the British. Yeah. Imagine the Zulus attempting an encirclement with modern rifles, artillery, yeah, and Gatling guns. All of them. Yeah. I mean, obviously, not only did they outnumber the Brits, but they clearly were not lacking in courage either. Right. I mean... They didn't give a fuck. Yeah, you can have all of the complaints in the world about somebody's logistics system, but if they pick up a spear and a wicker shield and charge into a Gatling gun... Imagine how much damage they could be if they were in a firing line full of other people in a bolt action rifle. Right. You know, like the Brits only won due to overwhelming fire superiority. And I know that sounds really dumb. It's like, well, the so-and-so only won because their army was better, but they weren't. The, the British leadership showed multiple times that they were significantly more incompetent than even Dabula Manzi, who was a fucking idiot. Because, I mean, it... it if Dabula Manzi had supporting artillery, Ruck's drift is done. Period. Because, I mean, they did the most damage they did with the few firearms that they had. Right. If, if he had a howitzer, you're fucked. The only reason they won is because of overwhelming technological superiority. Period. Right. And that's, it goes into this, too, because they caught Clemsford in the open. If Clemsford was, was in, stuck in the open in the mud waiting to dig out his supply wagons or whatever and they all had Matini Henry's themselves that's fucking shooting fish in a barrel yeah um and like Imagine the Zulu's calling for fire <laughs> fucking Zulu British. Zulu A10s coming yeah. down to motherfuckers <laughs> that would fucking blow now that is a uh a Empire Total War I will play if you're it's lit, a fantasy Empire Total War. Sign me the fuck up. <laughs> I would play the shit out of it. I, I just want the Zulus to have AK-47s and T-55s. 
But and, also be the Zulus. <laughs> but still dress and be commanded the same. I just want them to fucking... Only use one tactic, the buffalo. That's it. But imagine the horn of the buffalo with armor support and air support. That That's just Blitzkrieg. I mean, at this point, as the Zulus are right now without fantasy, they should probably change up the animals every once in a while. <laughs> Guys, Maybe the buffalo isn't like working. Like how the Chinese do it. Well, are you talking about like the Chinese horoscope? Yeah, the calendar. <laughs> Maybe change it up every once in a while like they do. Guys, that's the year of the pig. That means we <laughs> you only know what can. You gotta do. That means at war we only can shit ourselves and roll around in the mud. <laughs> shit on our balls. <laughs> uh, so, despite the fact that in this battle that the buffalo formation worked exactly as it was intended to, meaning they encircled Clemsford, uh, the Zulus are once again torn apart by entrenched and protected British weapons. The only Zulu to actually get over the fortification was a 10-year-old boy who was captured and forced to be some kind of weird racist mascot for a British Royal Navy ship. What? Yeah. For the cost of just 11 British dead, though some sources say that only two soldiers died. Over 1,000 Zulus were killed in just two hours. This 10-year-old. He made it. He got to British lines and was immediately like butt stroked unconscious and captured. Oh god, that's terrible. Yeah. I mean, like, fuck you, Zulus, for using child soldiers, but like fuck you even harder for turning him into a mascot, you know? Right. On a naval ship? Yeah. Would you like had to completely blow his mind. Yeah, he's fucking <laughs> culture shock. <laughs> yep, and right. one, he has to get sea legs now. Yeah. You know he doesn't have sea legs, he just has spear legs. Right. Now, the day after the battle, Pearson's army was rescued. Isho was abandoned and burned to the ground. Um, the British tucked their tails between their legs and got the fuck out of Zululand. They were not done, however. These guys fucking Jesus. The Zulu king knew that the British were going to invade again, so he attempted to negotiate peace terms, which Clemsford ignored. He slapped together another invasion force of around 20,000 soldiers to try again. It's a lot. Clemsford knew that he was about to get fired and replaced. His replacement was actually Ariane on a boat and on his way to South Africa. You got to go balls to the wall when you know you're getting replaced. He knew at this point he wasn't fighting for like the Federation of South Africa or whatever he wanted to build. He was literally fighting for his future. Like he had to rescue some kind of glory out of the situation. His name? Yeah. yeah. Or otherwise he was going to be broken homeless. Um, he... He knew the only way to re- praying for that ship to get stuck in a storm or something. Yeah, like, like please let please them sink. Just let the kamikaze blow it up or something. <laughs> I mean, like he was just hoping for something to be able to re- rescue some kind of his rep- some kind of shred of his reputation. This time, during the march, uh, Clemsford ensured that his army built actual fortifications whenever they stopped. And he sent scouts ahead to ensure they not trip over their own dicks and into another ambush led by thousands of Zulu warriors. I feel like every time they send scouts out, they don't, really don't do a good job. Like, hey, they're five minutes out. Huh? <laughs> Where were you an hour ago? Yeah. Uh, though, Got tired. You this know. is important that even though he did all this, it didn't matter. Though after massive Zulu defeats from the previous invasion, the Zulu kingdom simply did not have much left in the tank. The Zulus pretty much just let the British invasion force slowly walk their way towards the capital of Yulundi, unopposed. That did not mean that the Brits were jumpy as hell. At one point, they opened fire on themselves and killed some engineers. <laughs> the engineers had to be commanded by John Chard, who had survived Rourke's Drift. 
<laughs> they fire on themselves. Yep. Happened a couple times. Like one person's walking at the line. Zulu. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Now here comes a uh, uh, guy picks up a tree branch. Spear. Yeah. Dude, I'm just building a tent. <laughs> yeah. Uh, here's a a fun bit of history that I did not expect to stumble upon when I started reading upon the Anglo-Zulu War. Uh, Though a group of British scouts was ambushed, it led to the death of Imperial Prince Louis Napoleon Bonaparte, head of the House of Bonaparte and the only child of Napoleon III. What? So, by all accounts, the Imperial Prince was a fucking terrible soldier who routinely disregarded orders and was just kind of a dick all the time. Uh, he wanted to see combat so badly that he ran off one too many times and uh, Clemsford had actually ordered a lieutenant named Jahil, K- K- uh, Jahil Carey to be his babysitter with strict orders to not let the Imperial Prince see combat. After that, he was ordered into scouting missions that his commander uh, knew was free of Zulu forces. Just be like, yeah, go patrol that wood line, Napoleon. Too easy, sir. I got you. And it's like, wait, isn't this behind our line? He probably didn't give a. F- he probably didn't know. He's probably he like, had no idea. Fuck yeah. He had no idea. Action. One time, his commander sent him out to where he thought it to be safe, only to get ambushed. He sounds Bonaparte. This guy sounds like like he just dabs all the time. He's like, "Yes, yeah, sir, I got you." Like, yeah, he definitely said lit a lot. Yeah, he um, just sounds like because he sounds stuck up. Now, a lot of people are probably wondering how the fuck the the House of Bonaparte's leader ended up in the British Army. I am as well. So when his dad was deposed. He and his mother ran to England, where he kept his title, mostly at the enjoyment of the British royal family. Like, ha ha, look, we have the leader of the House of Bonaparte, uh, kind of just being our bitch, who then uh, became an officer in the British Army for mostly decoration. Right. Um, And then when he demanded he see action, he was sent to South Africa with explicit orders to never let him see combat. Which he then was so incompetent, he managed to see combat anyway. <laughs> I wonder how you do that. Um, well, his commander, who was sending him out to places he assumed to be clear, did that again, and this time it was not clear. Oh, wait a second. The map was upside down. Shit. Now, Sent him in the wrong direction. Even in the middle of that ambush, the Imperial Prince managed to be incompetent. Uh, he managed to get ran over by his own horse and then stabbed to death. <laughs> by his horse. Like, <laughs> the horse is like, I'm fucking not your asshole. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The, 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 the horse is definitely a fucking bourbon house fucking loyalist. Long live King Louis! <laughs> Just stabbing him with a spear. <laughs> and the Zulus are like, what the fuck? The, Zul- <laughs> the Zulus are like, we had no point on this. <laughs> Some Game of Thrones shit in Africa. Now, uh, this actually started something of a conspiracy theory yeah, back in France. No, so how the fuck do you do that? It is important horse? to note that uh, with the Prince Imperial, um, the House Bonaparte had a fair amount of loyalists back in France, hoping for the restoration of the House of Bonaparte. Uh, now, with his death, it started something of a conspiracy theory amongst Bonapartists that the prince had been killed for the purpose Fucking of horses. stopping the restoration of the Bonaparte Empire. Oh, I thought it was a conspiracy on horses. Yeah, it's uh, that's why uh, horse is a, a normal part of the French diet. Yeah. <laughs> to this day, they're just trying to eat that motherfucker's family. <laughs> they just continue to try to run him over. I, I, you know, I have to be. I'm really glad I found that whole little thing. I but had, like, <laughs> I was like, how the fuck did 
Louis Napoleon if he would have died by a straight up spear. Cool, that's normal Zulu war. No, it wouldn't have mattered. I think at any point that which is explicitly why the uh, the British government did not want him to see combat, as they knew it had really bad political implications if something happened to him. Right, because the the Bonapartist faction was sizable until he died, because he was the last male heir of the throne, um, and the, well, the last direct family member. So like, yeah. And not to mention the Brits have tried multiple times to get rid of those fucking Corsican assholes. So I'm still it isn't their best interest for all the Bonapartes to be dead. I'm not entirely sure how the he got ran over. Probably he he probably tried to like grab his horse, who was spooked by all the gunfire and screaming warriors, and they just trampled right over him. I feel like he tried to do some cool like cowboy shit, <laughs> like hang- an action movie to throw his leg over while it was running, or like hang off the side of it, like. Ha, I'll use my horse's cover and shoot at you? Yeah. No, it didn't work out. He lost grip strength, <laughs> went under. He's uh, like, oh, my my stomach, and then just got stabbed. <laughs> oh, my spleen. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and his sword was actually delivered to King Kitschweho himself. <laughs> really? Yeah. Now, after that, uh, King Kitschweho sent another message asking for peace, and Clemsford sent his demands, which included all sorts of things he knew the king simply could not do. Like, Bring him thousands of pounds of ivory within days. Yeah. Uh, Bring me a ranch packet and fish tank rocks. (laughs) What? Oh, God. Bring me the McNugget sauce. (laughs) What? (laughs) (laughs) Now, uh, uh, Kitsueho tried to win him over again by sending him Louis Napoleon's sword, like, look, bro, my bad. <laughs> <laughs> he sent him his body, like, hey, dude, look at look he, at all the hoof marks he, on him. He literally killed himself. Yeah, look at all the hoof marks. What's this spear in his stomach wide open? So, of course, this was all rejected, because the king couldn't meet with that sweet, sweet elephant tusk. When Klebsford finally ordered his army to... to play piano <laughs> without it? I don't make him out of fucking wood. I don't know. Uh, no, when Clemsford made his march on the capital, he purposefully did so in the open, in a large square formation to simply prove that the British could defeat the Zulu in open combat, which is something they really had not done. Because if you think That's about true. it, all their victories had been behind fortifications, and he was trying to save his own ass. So he had them march in square formation. Yeah, this reminds me of like the Battle of the Somme, where like, no, 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 don't run. Just walk. Yeah. Just walk shoulder to shoulder. Nothing bad like will happen. This will be fine. College bands go out onto the field. Yeah, kind of like that. <laughs> That's what I see. Like that, but somehow more flamboyant. Oh. Um, so, of course, the entire Zulu force, which was hiding in the nearby tall grass, immediately surprised the dumbass army and surround them with about 15,000 warriors. Oh, fuck. That's a lot. Now... This is when, if the Zulu did not have such an aversion to guns, they would have almost certainly have won the battle. As they charged the British square, they were cut down by ranks of disciplined soldiers firing on command. This gave the British enough time to deploy their Gatling guns and artillery at close range and began to pump canister shot into the Zulu formations. Ooh, canister. In just 30 minutes, the entire Zulu army would break and be destroyed, while only 10 British soldiers had died. This is a total war game that I'm listening to this right now. This is a total war game set on easy with the this, cheat modes on. Are you listing off a total war game right now? Yeah, this actually never happened. Oh, this is you. Yeah. That, actually, uh, the UK doesn't exist. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Uh, Ketsueho fled his capital and went on the run as his kingdom fell behind him. The formerly proud independent Zulu kingdom was divided into 13 different districts that would give the British puppet chiefs to ensure they would never again stand against them. Oh, that blows. Ketsueho was finally captured and sent away to a prison on Robben Island for the crime of being king of his own country or something. <laughs> yeah. Now, Robben Island is important because... You didn't meet our demands. It is the same place that Nelson Mandela was later imprisoned. Something of a trend of racism by white people huh. in South Africa. Yeah. He sat in prison for only a few years before being released in 1883 and was allowed to become a fake king in the land where he used to be a real king, which honestly sounds like a bigger fuck you than losing it the war. Does, yeah. To make matters even worse... A family member named Usabupi uh, hired some white guys from a nearby farm to kill him. Ooh. He escaped, though wounded. Now powerless, he moved to Eshoe, of all places, where he died of a heart attack a year later. Now you're probably wondering where the... And what happened to the disgraced Lord Clemsford. Yeah, did he get fired? He was promoted. Honored as a Knight of the Grand Cross of Bath... Knight's Grand Cross of the Royal Victorian Order, and made the gold stick in waiting during ceremonial events. I had to look that up. The gold, gold stick, stick of waiting. The gold stick in waiting is a really, really dumb term for like a ceremonial bodyguard. Really, but they have to fucking church it up because it's England. Uh, he died from seizing out while playing a game of pool when he was seventy-eight in nineteen o five. Old fucker. The only real punishment. That's probably all he did in the bar. So uh, let me tell you about this time in the Zulu Wars. Someone's like, you mean that one where you got your shit pushed in? (laughs) Yeah, in the way back. (laughs) Who said that? (laughs) Get my gold stick. My name's Lieutenant Bromhead. I'm here to fuck your shit up. (laughs) Now, now the only real punishment that Clemsford ever faced from being an absolute fucking moron was never being allowed to do war again. The poor baby. He wasn't allowed to do war again. (laughs) Yep. Oh, <laughs> yep. He was simply never given command of soldiers again. That's the only thing that ever happened to him. Meanwhile, Ketsueho and the Zulus were just torn to shit, subjugated, and turned to slaves for the most part. Yeah, sent to the same island Morgan Freeman was at. Nelson Mandela. <laughs> yep. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> now, because this episode ended horribly and the British winning yet again. Why do we do this? What, our whole podcast? Yeah. Uh, we don't ever have anything good man, to I, say. <laughs> oh, just, wait, no, wait. We have listener Q&A. <laughs> Never mind. Now we I'll just say this is the story of my say. life. I have written two full books and published 60 or 70 podcasts now. 71 podcasts now. And I have yet to have anything good to say. <laughs> That's all right. The listener Q&A will bring it back. <sighs> okay. By <clears throat> far my favorite part of now episode now our patreon supporter q a or questions from the legion comes from tanner q and l uh who's who asks what current leader would benefit most from having their own personal magician this of course harkens back to iran iraq war series yeah fuck a lot of them are like a lot of them i feel like would clap their hands in kitty at it I'm going to go with uh, Zelensky, the current president of Ukraine, because a wizard is the only way he's ever going to control that entire country again. <laughs> Thanks, Russia. I'd like to say somebody can't. <laughs> he's bound by certain laws of his current job. Yeah. Q 
Kim Jong-un I, could probably use a, a wizard. Oh, dude, he totally could. Because, like, that's the only way that he'll ever not be considered a joke is if he has, like, an, it's like the scene from Aladdin where he's like, I wish I was the most powerful sorcerer in the world. <laughs> I'm telling you, all they do is, like, fucking snake in the peanut jar, like, type shit, and they're like, Alakazam, and like, blah. So you don't think that Saddam's magician actually had real powers? You know, actually, you know what a really good answer for this question is? You know who could probably really use a magician? Like circa 2003? Saddam Hussein. (laughs) (laughs) Things didn't pan out that good for him. This fucker told me to hide under the bed and it didn't work. Or Iraq as a whole. Uh, Sorry for that, Um, (laughs) y'all. Way to end the podcast. we, We apologize for our horrible disease nation. Anyway, uh, thank you for tuning into the show. I could we could use one like off to the side right here. Like we could use like a vice president magician to try to unfuck everything that happened. Yeah, like he could sit here and uh, fucking... a, a magician of labor relations. <laughs> like how Joe Rogan has uh, who who does he fucking have? Jamie, a bunch of racists. That too. <laughs> With the guy who always hey look up this look up chimp dicks. Yeah. Wait, so you want you want our sidekick to be an all powerful wizard? I want him to be a wizard. Be like, hey, do a trick. I'm gonna end world hunger. No, 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 no. Just, just, a, just a card trick. Yeah. Fuck. Fine. Fine. There was a card. card trick. It's the wrong one. Go fuck yourself. <laughs> All right. Cool. Because this is the guy we could afford. <laughs> He's not Harry Potter. It's Harry Potter. If he went to Devry University of Wizards, we got him at the gas station. <laughs> oh God. Oh, so thank you for tuning into uh, the Anglo Zulu War series. Um, if you think what we do is worth a buck, you can throw it to us on Patreon. For just a buck, you can get one extra episode a month where we talk about military history in the form of pop culture. You can get our regular episodes early. You can get access to our communal Discord, the Hell of a Way to Die Boys. Um, you can actually ask us questions out, which we'll answer on air, and apparently just. Just, just not do anything with there with the wizards um but if you donate more than that you can get even more bonus episodes even more bonus content you can get free books free swag and other shit i don't know free swag swag yeah uh swag bitch Gratata. god damn it <laughs> <laughs> he's oh, back fuck. from the dead i know that guy too <laughs> i don't know him know him but i used to like fuck i saw him on tosh and all this other he's, shit. he's he's Florida man distilled into skin. Uh, but anyway, thank you for tuning in. If you don't want to do any of that, and you don't feel like giving us money, of which I do not blame you. You can rate and review us on iTunes and it helps us greatly. Until then, don't get stabbed with a Zulu spear. Don't get washed with one. Yeah. I would advise against it. Wash your spears. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>